Good morning, everybody. It is good to be here, and it's good to declare that we need the Lord. Amen? There's nothing like the encouragement you get when you actually admit you need God. And that's part and parcel of what we're going to talk about today. So if you'd come before the Lord with me, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this moment where we get to gather. We get to gather to sing your praise. We get to gather to pray and praise you and declare the great truths that you have revealed in the scriptures. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, that you won't leave us and you won't forsake us and you will not let us down. And your plans towards us are of peace and not of evil to give a future and a hope. And Lord, that anybody in here today who does not feel like they have hope, I pray, O oh God, that you would grant hope. That even now you would be working in their soul, reminding them who you are. Reminding them of your love. Reminding them of your care. And Lord, as we begin to discuss the joy of the justified life, Lord, I pray you would bless this message. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive it. And I pray, Lord, that the gladness of God would come upon us, Lord, as we believe the truths of Psalm 32. So I pray that you would help us now as we dig into Psalm 32. May we be greatly helped and may the Spirit blow on our time. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't already, turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And while you're turning there, I just wanted to start out. Um, I was reading a book on the Korean revival in 1907. And I was reading the account of this Presbyterian minister who was there during that time. And he's recollecting his experience of actually going to Korea and experiencing life among the Koreans. And, 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 and he visits his first Korean church because there were churches at that time in Korea. Um, and he goes to a prayer meeting and he describes how you could tell the difference between uh, Koreans who were Christians and the ones who weren't. And you could tell by the visible change in their countenance, the visible joy in their life. He said, you could just look at them and you know the difference between who was a believer and who wasn't. And I want to take a moment to read to you this account in which he describes what this looks like. He says, we often know a Christian man from a heathen even before he speaks by his changed countenance. He was talking about his face, the joy in his face. And we never have any difficulty in recognizing a Christian old woman. All her life long, she has been in ignorance and virtual bondage, scarcely as valuable to her husband as the ox that plows the field, rising in the darkness to cook the meals for her Lord and master, eating whatever remains after he had finished, toiling often with a baby on her back, not only in the house, but frequently in the field with the men, unwelcomed at birth, unloved through life, and with no hope of a better world beyond. 
She lives continually in fear of the demons that populate the earth and sky, afraid to live and still more afraid to die. And when to such an old Korean woman, just about to pass into the unknown terrors of beyond, comes the message of God's love and forgiveness and of a home in heaven. And she understands enough to know that God loves her and gave His Son in her stead. All the glory of it fills her soul to overflowing. It shines forth like sunshine, beautifying her old face with the love of Jesus. Beloved, that's the joy of a justified life. That's the change that even comes into the countenance and the whole constitution of a person who trusts in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and is made new. And so this woman is just beaming with the radiance of being forgiven, of knowing she has a home of heaven, and having been through the dregs of hell itself on earth. And passing through, passing through in Christ to a great inexpressible joy. And I thought, that's a picture of the justified life. That's a picture of what King David says in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And I was just like, what depth of riches the Christian has in Christ. What glorious realities we have as we experience that kind of forgiveness. And sometimes we're like, oh, well, that happened in Korea and like it's messed up over there. And so she's got all that joy because she's kind of being liberated from all that stuff. No, she's, she's coming to know Jesus. She's coming to know forgiveness. She's coming to know hope. She's coming to know the grace of God breaking in and changing her forever. And it puts a smile on her countenance. And as we walk into David's psalm today, this is a psalm of great confession of sin. It's a psalm about a man who had blew it big time. It's a psalm about a man who knew what it was to fail utterly and miserably and be in the dumps and on the run, hiding from God, only to find the great release of forgiveness and the great joy of coming to know the forgiveness of God. And he would point forward and there's all sorts of New Testament texts that pick up Psalm 32 and remind us this is the stuff of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what, as believers, we walk into. And perhaps if you don't know Christ in here today and you, you resonate with the reality of being miserable, not experiencing that real joy, that real happiness, living a life of uncertainty, living a life of fear, around death and fear around what others think of you and, 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 and not knowing quite what to do with the haunting specter of guilt. Well, this psalm is 
for you. Because this psalm is about a man's journey into the joy of justification. And we're going to see three things as we walk into it. The joy of justification, the misery of unconfessed sin, and the freedom of forgiveness. The joy of justification, the misery of unconfessed sin, and the freedom of God's forgiveness. So let's read the psalm and then we'll jump into it. Psalm 32. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then it says, Selah. And that just means marinate on that for a minute. <laughs> I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble and you surround me with shouts of deliverance. Say, La. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. And I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and a bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, O righteous, or be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So we're going to be focusing really on the first five verses of that psalm to get a, a, a vision of the joy of the justified life. And point number one, we see the joy of justification. We see David tapping into something. This is David who sinned by committing adultery with a, a woman named Bathsheba who was married to another man named Uriah. And David conspired a plot to take her for himself. And he lives in about a year or so of sin, just on the run, living in darkness. And he was the king of Israel. And it's a scandal and all of Israel knows, but he still thinks he's hiding from God. And then one day a prophet comes up to him and basically says a parable about a man who was a rich man and he stole a little sheep from a poor man. And David said, who is this man? Let him be put to death. And Nathan says to him, 
you are the man. I'm talking about you. And David is cut to the heart, repents of his sin, confesses it, uncovers his sin before God so that God might cover his sin. And he enters in to the joy of justification. And you see it right there in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So the first thing you, you see, right, is the repetition of that word blessed. And that word blessed could be translated happiness, or joy, or well-being. And it has this sense of this kind of fully orbed reality of where the smile of God is on your life. The smile and the blessing of God are breaking over your life. And there's, there's something deep within the core of who you are that's been set right. Right with God. And so there's a blessedness going on. And where David was once on the run and hiding and trying to cover his sin, now he's experienced his sin has been covered by God. And you can see how easily this points forward, right? To the covering, the ultimate covering that God has provided for men to be reconciled with Him. And it's the covering of Jesus Christ. It's the covering of the sacrificial atonement of Jesus. Of Jesus, the perfect man. The sinless Lamb of God. The One who was truly righteous. When we are all unrighteous. Who gives His life upon a cross. So that it would be paid in full. Jesus paid it all. And all to Him we owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but He what? He washes it white as snow. You see, Jesus becomes the covering. The only place that we're going to be able to go to deal with our sin. And the one who discovers that enters in to great blessedness. And verse 2 reminds us that that man is happy. That man is joyful because God does not count his sin against him. And truth be told, who, who of us could stand before the judgment of God when his all-knowing gaze is upon us? When he knows your history and he knows your track record and he knows what you did last Tuesday. He knows what you do when you open your computer at night. He knows what you do in the dark. He knows how you use your words. He knows how you speak to those you love. He knows how you speak. In every last word, we will give an account. And none of us will stand on judgment day. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that we are condemned already apart from Jesus. The verdict has already been given and we're guilty. And the reason we feel guilty and the reason happiness sometimes feels so elusive is because all unhappiness and misery in the world is a result of sin. 
whether it's the sin of others or our own sin. Sin is like a vacuum that sucks happiness right out of your life. And so we notice that David uses here in the first two verses three different words for sin. Because he's trying to give us a picture of this reality that we've been delivered from if we're in Christ. And that he was delivered from when he repented at the words of Nathan, the prophet. And the first thing he says is that sin is a transgression. Do you see it there in verse 1? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. And the idea of a transgression is the idea of crossing the line. There's a boundary. There's a boundary and you cross over it. Right? We often see this idea when we see fenced-in properties and you see a big sign that says, no trespassing. Anybody who trespasses or anybody who crosses the line of this property will be guilty and liable to prosecution. Right? Usually those signs say something like that. I can remember growing up and there was this place called Black Star Canyon. And it was said that a lot of spooky, shady stuff went on in this canyon. Satanic rituals, black magic, like all this stuff. So, of course, as a young man who didn't know the Lord, I said, let's go check it out, guys. And so we all got in our cars and we went over and we parked and we took a 10 minute walk into the property. And I just remember it's all fun and games and everybody's kind of a little nervous. Like, is, are we going to get caught? And I remember seeing as we passed by the gate, there was this big old sign that said no trespassing. And it was just riddled with bullet holes. And about 10, 15 minutes into it, this big old truck just rolls up on us, you know, and all of a sudden, out of the window, we see this big guy. He has a shotgun in his hands. And he's screaming at us to get off the property. Everybody's terrified. Half of us take off running. The other half are like, okay, sir, well, you don't <laughs> put, the, put the weapon down. We're gone. And I remember we left only to find our cars. All of their tires are popped. So we're stuck there with the shotgun guy. And we realized really quickly what it was to trespass, what it was to cross the line and the consequences that would come. And that's just pale in comparison when we've crossed the line with God, right? God is just. God's not an out of control, you know, cowboy with a shotgun rolling up on some teenagers. He's a just judge. And he knows you to the core. And nothing has escaped his sight. And when you transgress his laws, when you break his commands, there's grave consequences. And so David knows, right? He knows his whole mess was publicized. All of Israel. If they had internet back then, right? It would have went viral. King of Israel committed adultery, ruins his legacy, 
shames his family. I wonder what would be said if that kind of publicity came upon your life and how sin might bubble up and go viral. Well, that's how God sees us every day. He sees us in all of it. And David is helping us get at, I mean, you could see, right? How happy you would be, how blessed it would be when that crossing the line, when that breaking of God's commands, when that mess he got himself into, he gets forgiven. And the joy just wells up and the tears roll down. And some of you labor in so much misery because there's very little confessing of sin going on in your life. There's very little honesty before the face of God about your sin. And you just think, hey, I'll be quiet about it. I might numb it with alcohol, drugs, sexual immorality, carton of ice cream. But I don't want to get honest before God. But the reality is that when we get honest before God, that's when the liberty comes. And that's God's heart for you. He doesn't want you running in the dark. He wants you running towards Him with all your mess. So there's trespass. There's a crossing of the line. And maybe you've crossed many a line. I know when I look back on my life, and, and it's like a mountain of transgression would be piled up. And it would reach the heavens. It would be like the new Tower of Babel. And truth be told, that's really every one of us if you magnify the realities of the way sin plays out in our life. So transgression. The next word we see is a term that's translated sin, but it's an archery term, and it means to miss the mark. And you see it there in verse 1, whose sin is covered. In fact, most places that the Bible translates the word sin, it has this idea of this target, this bullseye, and there's a missing of the mark. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All have missed the mark. I can remember a couple brotherhoods ago. We were, after the brotherhood was over, we were playing something called dartball, which is basically like a giant dartboard. And you throw these bigger darts. And a couple of us were, were throwing. And it was awful. Like, it was like we didn't even know how to throw anything that day. And just darts are going everywhere. I think one even lodged in the wall somewhere. But we were missing it. That's what, what it is when God has a good design for your life. When God has a design for human flourishing. He has a target. He has a way to live. He has a design for your life. And then you miss the mark. And you start making a mess of things. And I wonder... How many of us, if we just think about this past week, we've been throwing those dart balls everywhere, maybe causing some, some issues. 
Dartball, dartball got out of control in marriage. Dartball got in, out of control in your disrespect to your parents. And you start missing the mark and consequences start coming in. So there's a missing of the mark that we see here in the first two verses. And then thirdly, we see David describing sin as iniquity. Verse 2, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And this idea of iniquity is like, it's like there's a straight line and then there's a crookedness. There's an inequity. There's a sense in which the, 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 there's an injustice going on in the way you're living. There's a twisting. I can remember playing the game Twister with my kids and, you know, there's all those red, yellow, and green dots and you're trying to like spin it and then you put your foot over here and then you spin it again and everybody's trying to put their foot everywhere and pretty soon you're like twisted up into a big old pretzel and everything comes crashing down. That's what iniquity is in our soul. And so David is so helpful to give us these pictures of sin because we see sin as twisting. We see sin as missing the mark. We see sin as this transgression, this breaking into and desecrating the very boundaries of God. And then David just cries out with great blessedness. And I think of the Korean woman with that smile on her face. Forgiveness has finally dawned on her life. She's unwanted at birth. She's unloved through her life. She's just trying to get by with babies on her back. But she too had missed the mark in all of these ways. And at the thought that she could be forgiven and that she could come to know God and that she could be restored and that she could have new life and that she could have a true home. Great joy just flooded her soul as she embraced the message. And is it any wonder, right, that Romans 4 that we read earlier picks this whole idea up? In verse 3, it says, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Did you see that? That's hope for everybody in here. We have a God who's able to justify the ungodly. Now, as a preacher, I know when you start talking about sin and you start unfolding the nature of it, when you start talking about the, the, the griminess that we all live in, and if everybody knew what we were really like and how God actually sees us, there is such encouragement that floods my heart when I read the words of the Apostle Paul and they're the one who doesn't work, but believes in Him, God, who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness. And then he gives the example of Psalm 32. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God 
counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Do you see how part and parcel of the gospel is wrapped up in how we deal with our sin? Will we run and hide and cover it on our own? Or will we come to Christ? Will we come to God in faith and believe in the one who justifies the ungodly and experience the joy of justification? Well, the second thing we see is the misery of unconfessed sin. And we see it in verses 3 and 4. Look at this with me. See it in the Scriptures. For when I kept silent, David says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. And so David begins to depict the crushing weight of unconfessed sin. The crushing weight of silence before heaven. Silence before God. When David is quiet about his sin, when he fails to confess and repent of it, guilt begins to ravage his life. Guilt begins to crush his soul. And it's not just David. We taste the reality when we live in the dark. When we live with unconfessed sin, when we live in a space where we have not brought our true self to God. And guilt begins to weigh down on us. Many of you perhaps are trapped in a place where you feel like you can't get out because of something you did in the past. Maybe it's something you feel like it's so shameful, it's so horrible, it's so dark, it's so depraved, and I don't even want to utter it before God. And so that weight just begins to pound down on you. And David says, when I kept silent, my bones, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. He's talking about groaning. He's groaning in shame. He's groaning in discouragement. He's groaning in the pain of the wreckage of his life. And as long as he's silent, he gets no relief. Ah, I can't shake it. Does your soul groan within you? Like really groan. Because there's a lot of unconfessed stuff. You haven't dealt with stuff before God. So his hand's on you. So things don't work out. Relationships go bad. Friendships disintegrate. Work environments become chaotic. Difficult. Unpredictable. And maybe there's things that you have not dealt with. And you've left unconfessed to the living God. 
We watched this animated film called The Pilgrim's Progress last month as a church. And beautiful film. It's about the book John Bunyan wrote. And it's called Pilgrim's Progress. And the main character of the book is a man named Christian. And at the beginning of the book, Christian gets awakened by reading a book. And the book's the Bible. And he reads this book and he gets awakened to his sin. He gets awakened to the reality of the darkness inside him. He gets this nagging sense that something's not right. And the way he's been living has not been right. And he wants relief from it. And the more aware he is of the darkness inside of him and his inability to deal with it and cover over it and handle it by just trying to balance it. Hey, I'll be a good person. And the weight just gets bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden it appears as this giant burden on his back, just kind of crushing him down. And you see like throughout the movie, it's getting bigger and bigger. And pretty soon he's got like scoliosis because he's trying to carry this thing. And it's not till he runs to the cross and he runs to this shining light. And it's a light of the cross as he's going up a hill and the burden feels so heavy. And as the light shines on him, that burden begins to be lifted. And it's a picture of a man coming under the, the heaviness of guilt and sin before God and then getting liberated as he comes to Jesus. It's a beautiful account. And if you've never read the book, watch the, the movie, read the book. And you'll get great help because we all carry burdens. We all carry burdens on our back apart from Jesus. And there's no way to get rid of it. There's no way to get rid of your guilt. You can deny it. You can try to run from it. You can try to ignore it. But your guilt follows you. And your sin, the Bible says, will find you out. And oh, how true it is. And so, David describes this reality. And then in verse 4, he says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So now he's picturing this life that's living, running from God, not dealing with sin, not being honest before God, covering, hiding, he pictures it like somebody who's just living out under the scorching heat of a hot sun. And all of your strength and all of your vitality and all of your life is just being sucked and withering. Because when you're silent before God, your soul withers. I remember when we first moved to Louisville, it was about 15 years ago, and we came and it was one of those like blistering, hot, humid summer days. It was just terrible. It's like 99 degrees, 90% humidity. You're dripping, just, you know, standing outside doing nothing. But we had to move and we had to move all of our, uh, basically all of our stuff that was in a pod and we had to take it from the pod and move it to a U-Haul in the blistering heat. Then we had to take the U-Haul drive it to our apartment where we we're going to stay, move all the stuff into the apartment. 
And by the, by the end of it, I must have lost like 10 pounds of water weight. I'm just exhausted. And I feel like I stepped into an oven to do all of this. And that heat just dries you out. And oh, what a picture of the damaging, miserable effects of sin in the soul. I mean, it just dries you out. It dries you out. It's, it, 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 it hangs on you. It takes all your energy. David, as he was silent, like everything's falling apart. But he's sharing this with us. He's sharing the depression and the discouragement that, that not dealing with your sin before God, honestly. He's showing us what it looks like because he's moving us towards the hope that he got. So we've seen the joy of justification. We've seen the misery of sin. But as we close, I want us to think about the freedom of forgiveness. And we see that in verse five. Look at it. It's just beautiful. This is David on the other side. This is David coming out of the scorching heat. This is David. The groaning's about to end. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Do you see the relief happening? Do you see the, the, the soul of a man being transformed by coming to God honestly? By trusting God that God's not going to, he's not going to lower the boom on me. You run from God. That's when consequences come. You run towards him and you get the hope and help you long for. You run away and, and it's, it, it, you're crushed. And you're left without hope. And so many of us are so prone to just run away from God. We're like Adam and Eve in the garden. Right? We just believed the lie. We ate the fruit and we're hiding behind some fig leaves that we sowed because we realize we're naked and ashamed and we're running from God in the garden, hiding behind some trees. Like, I don't want him to see me. Like, God's the enemy. He's not the enemy. You have an enemy. That wily serpent who deceived the world. But when you come out from behind those trees, when you come into the sunlight of grace, then you can say with David, I have acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. David is acknowledging his sin. He's admitting it. He's agreeing with God about his sin. And ultimately that it's against God, first and foremost. Psalm 51 says... For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. This is David again. And you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. D David's saying like he's finally getting honest with God. He's like, Lord, it's me. I'm the guy who did this. Nobody put on a David suit and ran around and committed adultery and murder. It was me. And I'm acknowledging it. I'm confessing it. I'm agreeing. Beloved, if we try to cover our sin, God will uncover it. But if we uncover our sin, God will cover it. He'll cover it 
with the blood of Jesus Christ. He'll cover it with sacrificial forgiveness. He'll cover it with the reality of redemption. And that's what David is articulating here. I acknowledge my sin to you. It's very personal when you get real with God. Notice all the personal pronouns in there. I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions. Do you see how personal that is? When you actually start putting your pronouns up in there. I've done this before you, God. You can't get saved and you can't experience forgiveness because of your parents' faith. Or because of your spouse's faith. You need to come to God yourself. You need to run to God yourself. You need to have that confession. The confession of David. And he uses every one of the words for sin. And there's a reality behind what God is doing in forgiving all of those things. God is covering our sins when we come to him. He's cleansing our sin. Because sin defiles us. God loves us. And God's desire for you is to walk in the joy of justification and know the sweetness of the justified life. But you can't get there on your own. You can't get there by trying to clean up or pretend you're better than you are. Or ignore it like, I'm not all that sinful. I'm not really messed up. I'm good. I don't need all that. And God's like, you're not going to stand on judgment day. You'll have your hand over your mouth. But I love you so much. I'm just calling you. That's why the heavy heat's on you. That's why there's a reality you feel guilty. That's why there's noise in your soul and you can't feel right or good about the way you're living if it's apart from God. Because you actually got to come to God and uncover your sin so He can cover it for you. God's like, give me those fig leaves. I got something so much better for you. I've got the righteousness of Jesus Christ that I will clothe you with if you come to me and believe on me. So what David is articulating in this message is the reality that you can come experience the joy of forgiveness. But first, you must acknowledge your sin. You must be real about your sin. You must actually confess it. You must actually articulate it before God. I'd be like, hey, I'm going to just tell somebody about it and I'll feel a little better. Get the little cathartic. Oh, I, I, let, I got some stuff on my chest. It's cool. You know? No, you didn't. You feel better because you told somebody, but not before the face of God and the guilt's still there. And it'll get worse. It'll get more out of control. You must acknowledge your sin. You must agree with God that you deserve the judgment. The punishment. That's what confession is. And then lastly, verse 10 articulates so well. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. There has to be faith in God. There has to be faith in what He's done to provide salvation for you. To provide rescue. To actually take an ungodly person like us and make them clean. 
And that's why he sent Jesus. There's only one person I know who's righteous. His name's Jesus. There's only one person who is willing to go to a cross to endure the wrath and the judgment you and I deserve on our own heads. And it's Jesus. And there's only one way to get the burden up off your back. And it's by running to God in faith and trusting Him. And that's what the Gospel's all about. Beloved, we have such great joy in the justified life. We have such great hope. All of us should be like that Korean old lady. Just praise the Lord. It's just all over your countenance. God is so good. He's so loving. And if you've not tasted it, I call you today, put your trust in Jesus. He's made a way for you to deal with your darkness. He's made a way for you to get clean. But you've got to uncover your sin and come to Him. And He'll cover it with His life and His righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the justified life. We thank You, Lord, that You remind us that Your grace is enough. You are faithful and true. You won't leave us. You won't forsake us. And Father, if we're in here today and we're, we're believers and we've lost sight of this glorious justified life, Father, I pray that we would learn it all over again as we discover with David that when we run to God in honesty, when we get real before the throne of grace, that's when we get mercy and help in a time of need. That's when we, we realize that when we try to conceal our sin, nothing but misery comes. But when we get real about it, that's when cleansing comes. And perhaps there's some in here today who don't know you, Lord. I pray, God, that, that you would move on their heart even now, Lord, that as, as they've been sitting and laboring under this message, thinking, pondering, and they know they have been running from God. They know they're hiding among the trees. They don't feel like... They, they, they realize they're an enemy right now. And that they need to trust you by coming out into the open and actually asking you to forgive them because of what Jesus did. Because of his beautiful life. Because of his sacrificial death. And because of his love for us. We can be redeemed. Father, I pray that they would cry out to you as David. Lord, I acknowledge my sin. And I believe you can save me. Come into my life. Send Jesus into my life so that I might experience the justified life and the joy of it. In Jesus' name, amen.